Welcome back to the Tennessee Holler. As always, here with you, we're at tnholler.com is where you can find us at the TN Holler on Twitter and Facebook and all of these other hollers across the state that do their hollering thanks to your support. So we really do appreciate all the small dollar donations. If you're buying or selling in Tennessee, please go through her. That's a way to support us. Rep Mike Stewart, who we talk to from time to time when things are especially dire. Today is obviously Insurrection Day and the anniversary of a very dark day in our country. Mike thought it was important to hop on and talk about what it really means, what's going on, and how we should be looking at things right now. Mike, how are you? Hey, thanks uh, for having me on. I'm always happy to be on the holler. I'm uh, doing well. They go a long way, and we want to shout out, as we always do these days, Elisa Parker. We are here today to talk to, but uh, obviously a year out from the insurrection, um, I am more concerned than I was on that day. You know, at the time the insurrection occurred, I actually was one of the naive people who thought, okay, this is a riot. Things have happened. These people got excited. They got out of control. The police respond, you know, the police did what they could, but they weren't prepared for that level of attack. And so you had this kind of out of control situation. Sometimes that happens in the world. And I thought that's unfortunate, but we'll, you know, we'll right the wrong and move forward. Um, Unfortunately, now with a year of study uh, with some, you know, very important work by congressional committees, uh, we're finding out that's actually not what occurred at all. And so we have a much darker, more concerning situation in the United States of America. You know, a year out, what we know as uh, what we know is that that uh, attack on the Capitol was part of an overall plan that was planned by Trump allies, participated in by President Trump himself to overturn the results of a Democratic election, something that people like me have always assumed happened in other countries, but would never even conceivably occur in the United States of America. Since that time, we know that when Steve Bannon said uh, right before the attack on the Capitol, it's not going to happen like you think it's going to happen. All I can say is strap in. He said that the day before it happened, when he said all hell is going to break loose tomorrow, I thought that was rhetoric wasn't rhetoric. Actually, he and others have been meeting to plan a final effort to stop uh, what is normally a routine matter, which is the counting of electoral votes, something that in the previous years has just been taken for granted, not even been viewed as a thing. But President Trump and his allies actually carefully analyzed the situation. And it turns out all of the crazy Looney Bird lawsuits that were struck down by the courts and all the other things that were going on were part of a concerted effort to create enough doubt in the minds of people in the United States that it would give cover to state legislators to overturn the electoral count, send alternative slates to Washington, and thus essentially achieve a presidency by coup. Now, I have to say, like, on January the 1st, 2021, I would have been one of the people who said that will never happen. That's a crazy conspiracy theory. President Trump was a terrible president but he's going to respect the result. All this nonsense about stopping the steal is just him being an idiot. And we're all going to move on and go back to the United States of America. But that's not what turns out to have been the case. What it turns out is we had a series of conspirators who were carefully planning to try to overturn the election. 
President Trump was participating with them. He was meeting with lawyers to talk about how you could overturn this presidential election. So all of these lawsuits, all of President Trump's tweets about how the election was stolen, all of which are entirely untrue, were part of a concerted effort to achieve effectively a transfer of power that violated the vote of the people. Something that, you know, I would have told you happens in places like Honduras uh, and Hungary, but not uh, the United States of America, most stable democracy in the world. Well, I mean, that's where we stand today. So what we see is you had this tremendous effort to undermine our democracy. Where do we stand a year later? Well, a year later, the forces against democracy are stronger because the people who have stood up and done the right thing, like, uh, like Congresswoman Cheney, have been cast out of power, have been sanctioned, and the people who have stood by silently and done nothing, or like Marsha Blackburn, have actually participated by uh, themselves uh, questioning the legitimacy of the electoral vote, okay? Those people are actually in the ascendance. And, and if you think about it, you think about the state officials that stood up, that refused to go along with efforts to undermine the election, they have been sanctioned by their local parties. It's not just Cheney. It's all across the country. All of these folks who stood up and said, no, actually, we're a democratic country and we're not going to overturn the election under tremendous pressure by what turns out to have been a corrupt president not willing to follow the law. Um, they stood up. They've now all been cast out, punished. Um, those politicians, those governors who certified uh, the results are all facing significant Trump uh, funded primary challenges. So what we see is the the forces of anti-democracy are in the ascendance. The big lie, which people like me didn't take seriously, is being taken seriously by millions of people in the United States. We're in a very perilous situation. And I just wanted to get on and talk about it. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity because I think Democrats and Republicans who care about having a functioning democracy need to start really steadying this. And we need to start taking concrete steps outside the rest of our political debates to protecting our democratic framework. You know, my view is if we have a real democracy, there are lots of Republicans I serve with. They have views that are antithetical to mine on health care, on choice, on all sorts of issues, guns. But listen, if they've got the votes, they've got the power, they're legitimately elected, I respect their ability to wield their power. My, my goal then is to speak to the people and change their minds. You know, but I don't get to rule. I, I'm just an elected representative of the people, so are they. And so the people need to maintain their control. And that is what was endangered on January 6th. And that is what is going to be endangered again. And I, I'm going on and on. And I hope you. Well, no, I mean, so I just I wanted to give you your space to do that. But I, I did want to mention and yeah, I'm going to build off of a comment from Gapper X, who shows up here, generally doesn't agree with us about most things. And he says a few hundred fools rioting and vandalizing the Capitol is bad, no doubt, but certainly isn't a dark day for democracy. And the thing that I want to point out about this to him and to those watching is that is not all that happened. That was one part of a much bigger conspiracy to change the result of the election, which included a higher up at the DOJ coming up with a plan to declare enough fraud in these states to throw the election back to the state legislators to, like you said, 
serve up a new slate of electors. Also, you had things like the pressure on the Department of Justice in Atlanta, where the guy ended up stepping down because he wanted no part of finding 11,000 votes in Georgia. There was also a big deal that seems probably a little bit of like a little bit of a joke because it involved Kanye West's publicist, but Kanye West publicist went to pressure an election worker in Georgia to get her to admit to vote to election fraud that she did not commit at the behest of a Trump aide who was directly connected to and paid for by the Trump campaign. So it was all of these things happening at once that laid the groundwork for what we saw that day, which was a very dark day for democracy. And God forbid we talk about what might have happened if they had gotten their hands on Pence or AOC or Pelosi or anybody who was in the building that day. I think you'd be hard pressed to convince me that they wouldn't have been hurt or killed. So to minimize this as not a dark day for democracy is to cover up for it, which is what has been happening with a lot of Republicans lately. And Mike, I would ask you if you agree with this, is not the cover up still part of the insurrection? Uh, I think it is. And I would respond also to Gapper X because I'm assuming uh, I, I'm not familiar with you, but I'm assuming you're making a statement that you this heartfelt. OK, I got to say, I agreed with you on January 6th. On January 6th, I still thought this was a bunch of bumbling people who managed to stumble past a bunch of barriers and uh, and that it was basically a riot out of control. OK, but but that's not, in fact, the, the case. That's just factually inaccurate. Actually, OK, that riot occurred as part of an overall plan in conjunction with the president of the United States pressuring the vice president of the United States to not respect the vote of the people in the Electoral College. It, it's impossible to conceive of a more serious threat to democracy than the leader of the country trying to pressure his vice president to simply ignore the votes of the people. And that's the context in which this happened. And it wasn't a series of unrelated events. It was all we're now finding out part of an orchestrated scheme. In fact, laid out in memos, okay, laid out by one of Justice Thomas's former clerks to President Trump. So the point is, you're right. You were right. If that's all it was, was just a riot, then all we need to do is make sure the Capitol Police, uh, you know, have higher barriers and are better prepared. Okay. But that's not the problem. The problem is actually the president of the United States tried to subvert the election. And here, remember this, it's a, it's a statement that, or it's an event that shows the distance between where we used to be and where we are now. Mike Pence apparently actually called former vice president Quayle to talk about this. Okay. And he was thinking Quayle, about doing it. Right. He was trying to figure it out. So it got to the point where the vice president, this thing that's totally ridiculous that no normal person, no political actor, Republican or Democrat would ever consider for a minute. The pressure was so great on Vice President Pence and he did the right thing. So I'm not criticizing him. He did the right thing. He made the right decision. And it was for him, honestly, a heroic one. But the point is he called Vice President Quayle and said, you know, can I do this? Do I have the power? And Quayle just said, are you kidding me? Of course not. That's totally ridiculous. It's a non-thing. Your responsibility is just to stamp the election results. That's what we all do. So you had Quayle speaking from a past political time that we all grew up in, 
when normal exchanges of power were just the norm, something that we all just took for granted. Speaking to Pence, who's dealing with, it turns out, not just a terrible president, but actually a president who is totally willing to resort to unconstitutional action to thwart the vote of the people. Somebody, it turns out, actually is not committed to our democracy, is totally unfit to rule, is unfit to have any role in our public life. And I wouldn't say that. Remember, I serve with people who are extremely conservative Republicans. They disagree with me on every single issue. But they absolutely have the right to rule, and I have absolute respect for them to the extent that they res they are reflecting the vote of their people, the people they represent. That's their business. They're supposed to put those views forward. So it's no, not a Mike, I, I want to ask you about those people because, yeah. you know, you talk about the people that you serve with. And from where I'm sitting, knowing the legislature like I do, you know, not great, but I, I, I've watched it pretty closely for the last couple of years. You've done your work. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have no doubt in my mind that if Tennessee were one of those six states and they did send it back to our state to ask them to throw out the results of our state and send a slate of electors that they of their choosing they would do it in a heartbeat. I don't even know if there would be one of them that would be against that. Yeah, so, I disagree with you. Yeah, okay, I, that's I, what I, I want to ask. I totally disagree with you. I think okay. that could be true. It could not be true. Okay, it's unclear. And we have to move our country to one in which that becomes unthinkable again. Yes, look, honestly, it's easier for me as a Democrat to speak out on this than it is for a Republican because I'm not risking what I perceive to be a political future. OK, it's not politically risky for me. And the reason you have such silence on the part of many Republicans, not people like Marshall Blackburn, who just completely abandoned their role and literally speak up for destroying democracy by saying that the electoral count should be questioned. I mean, she she's not fit to serve as a senator. She should resign for just doing that. If, if you don't respect elections, you're not fit to be a public official in the United States. But. Uh, there are other Republicans we know who are silent because they're hoping this whole thing blows over. They know it's wrong. They know it's outrageous, even very conservative. I don't even think it goes to their conservative or less conservative credentials. It's just who they are as people. There are a lot of Republicans who know that Trump lost fair and square, that, of course, he doesn't have the right to serve, that his claims are totally ridiculous. Why are they silent? Because there's so many members of the Republican base that have been convinced by bad leaders uh, that there was actually a stolen election, a totally ridiculous fairy tale, that they're fearful. And, and the point is, we can say that's bad, but, but we cannot, I don't think we can accept the notion that any public official in the United States will go along with a stolen election. And what I want to talk about is we need to, before 2024, return that to the area of impossibility because we're gonna require a lot of state legislators, a lot of judges, and a lot of state officials to force our democracy to work. And they're gonna to have to stand up against pressure again. And we need to say, no, we expect every official to uphold democracy. Let me say one thing, and then uh, I'm sure we'll have other questions. I wanna highlight, sorry to use the holler to plug something, but the Atlantic has devoted an entire issue to this threat. 
I really would recommend everybody who's interested, go out and get this issue. It's got very trenchant, powerful discussions by Barton Gelman, by George Packer uh, of our situation, what we need to do about it. It's the best writing on this issue that I've seen. My cell phone is 615-406-8719. I'll, I'll limit it to 100 so I don't go bankrupt. But if you text me and you want a copy, I'll send you a copy personally. Okay, so so get the Atlantic and read it because it's the best writing I've seen on the threat. And the threat is incredibly real. I mean, we are not living in the country we used to live in. It's a great country. It's a country that's admired all over the world, but it's a country in which there has been a direct attack on democracy at the highest levels of government. And there are people, high level people who've been given everything by our country. Like I said, a former clerk of the Supreme Court incredible, that are supporting the idea to destroy our democratic system. And, and, and every American needs to stand up now, think about it, and begin participating in the effort to make sure that doesn't happen. So the thing that we're seeing from a couple of our friends here who tend to come that don't really agree with us is they're minimizing it, right? They're they're basically saying it really wasn't that big a deal. Don't worry too much about it. I saw Ben Shapiro today on Twitter call it a game that Democrats are basically trying to be opportunistic about what happened to use it as a way to change voting rules and election rules how they see fit. Uh, you know, what I would say is his game is calling it a game so that he could keep his pockets full, but that's a story for a different day. Uh, but you also mentioned that Basically, Republicans saw where they fell short and have now went around replacing election officials, government officials. In, in order to run as a Republican for any office in this country, the number one thing that you need to say, and it's really disqualifying if you're not willing to say it, is the election was stolen and that Trump is really president and, and be willing to do it again next time. So how far do you think they've gone towards clearing the runway for the next coup? Oh, they've made enormous, they've made enormous progress. And, you know, at this point, unfortunately, leaders of the Republican Party have chosen not to stand up for our democracy. And uh, that creates a very perilous situation for our country and a perilous situation for people within the Republican Party who want to participate in politics, but are fearful that they'll destroy their political life if they speak up. And uh, you know, you have to hand it to Cheney. I mean, she was as, uh, as you know, she had as prestige a job as you can get in politics, po a job that people, you know, position that people kill for in life. And she probably knew she was throwing it away by standing up to do what's right. I've had my criticism of the Cheney family over the years, as you know. But uh, what she's doing is heroic. She needs to be recognized for that by Democrats and Republicans. Think of the fact that her own party in Wyoming, okay? Think of the fact that her own party in Wyoming would not vote to support her. That shows how deep this, this poison runs in our body politic. It's incredibly concerning. People that are minimizing it, there are two possibities. They're either totally uninformed 
And I would just say, why don't you look at the facts and tell me which fact is not true? Are you taking issue with the fact that the president of the United States actually spoke to his vice president and tried to get him to overturn the presidential election? How can you suggest that that's anything but a gravely serious threat to our democracy? Are you saying that's not true? Or do you have some strange view of politics that uh, makes light of the fact that the most powerful politician in the world is trying to step outside of the Constitution to benefit himself. I mean, there's no more serious thing that can occur in democracy, frankly. The other thing I'd say is you have another group of Republicans who are the people that are actually furthering this conspiracy. And, uh, you know, they are, again, at the highest levels of government and at the highest of the Republican, you know, kind of uh, universe. And um, we just need to name those people, remember them, the ones that were involved in the January 6th attack need to be indicted. They need to go to prison where they belong. The ones that were not involved and have come out, not committed crimes, uh, we need to remember them because they're not fit to serve. They're not fit to participate in America's political life. Um, those people who are members of the Federalist Society, who are members of prestigious organizations who are who are laying the groundwork for a coup, we need to identify them because they need to be uh, legitimately, not with violation of the law, but they need to be recognized as not fit for public life. Mo Brooks was wearing a bulletproof vest that day. What more do you need to know about how high up this actually went? I mean, he was wearing a bulletproof vest in preparation for what he knew was coming. They knew what was going on. Bannon was saying all hell is going to break loose. They were They had a plan of attack they were coming from both sides this was coordinated there was you know we, we can look at the stand down order you know and why the national guard took so long to react i mean there was something really serious going on here if you don't see that at this point it's because you don't want to and you know, I, I I, that's a great way of saying it if you don't see it at this point i didn't mean to interrupt you it's because no, yeah. you don't want to no serious person can look at the evidence and seriously suggest that this was not a direct attack on democracy. And I'm happy to debate any person who suggests otherwise anytime uh, according to ground rules of their choosing, because that's just not informed. Yeah. Nonsensical foolishness. Well, so I want to, uh, you know, one thing I'd say, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. One thing to think about while you're saying whatever you're going to say is what Gary's asking here, which is what can I do as an individual? I think that's a very good point. And here's my unfortunate comment. I don't know. I've started asking this question to everyone. Everybody I know who's been to a Democratic gathering or a political gathering, not even Democratic, which is, was anybody talking about the need to preserve democracy? Is anybody talking about how we're going to protect our political system? And I have to tell you, I don't see it. I don't see uh, I don't see a concerted, focused effort to do anything about this. And I tend to think it becomes in the Democratic world because we tend to work in silos. You know, there's no more politically effective organization in the world than the human rights campaign. OK, for those who aren't familiar with it, they focus on uh, the needs of the LGBTQ community. They do an incredible job. All right. But they have their own focus and they need to have that in order to remain powerful and effective. OK, we have a lot of groups like that that are very effective and focused. We don't right now have a group, a team, an effort that's focused on that I know of that's focused on simply protecting our democratic system from the most concerted attack that we've really seen since the Civil so, War. 
Maybe Mark um, Elias would be the closest thing we have. This guy who's like single-handedly winning these court battles all throughout the country. But, it's but good point. He's doing his part. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing his part. Uh, uh, how about Biden? You know, he just gave a pretty good speech um, and obviously saying a lot of the right things. But I wonder if there maybe isn't more he could be doing in terms of pressuring someone like Joe Manchin and, you know, uh, Kirsten Cinema to carve out the filibuster, to eradicate the filibuster, to do what needs to be done to actually pass these these voting rights laws. You know, I, I think I'm not saying he, you know, can do everything all by himself, but it does sort of feel like he's been a little bit playing nice with Manchin and Cinema on his Build Back Better agenda and on these voting rights bills, and it doesn't feel like they've been made all that uncomfortable. Yeah, and I, I have to say, I don't have a pat response because I think Biden's in a real tricky situation, particularly yeah. with Manchin. OK, because Manchin, we know, you know, he he put too much pressure on him and, um, you know, he, he doesn't have to, to stick with the Democratic Party on any issue. And so but he doesn't have to if you don't put too much pressure on him either. So, well, well exactly. And what he's doing yeah. is bizarre to me, because if I were him. You know, would I want my legacy to be this kind of ridiculous caricature of an of a disloyal Democrat? I mean, why would that? Why would you want that? I mean, he's a ridiculous. He's making he's turning himself from somebody I respected because I respect people who win these very difficult uh, states from somebody I respected to a pathetic caricature. So maybe that's what he wants his legacy to be. If I, you know, the best person to solve that problem is Joe Manchin because he's turning himself into the laughing stock of our country. You know, if he thinks the Republicans take him seriously behind closed doors, they view him as a pathetic, easily manipulated joke. Of course, you know it's it's. So I agree. I I just think if like if if this was the other side of the aisle and there were one or two Republicans holding up Trump's entire agenda. I mean, he would be in their backyard, you know, holding rallies and shaking his fist. So, you know, and I know that I'm not saying Biden should be Trump in any way, but I just think there may be more that Biden could be doing to put some pressure if we think democracy is at stake. And if we think these voting rights bills are actually going to really help keep us from falling into the abyss, shouldn't it be an all hands on deck and do all you can situation? I guess I guess what I'm saying is i think with you that it's clear what biden can do you have to be very careful with these senators we all remember when roosevelt at the height of his power went down to defeat carter glass who hadn't been sufficiently loyal to the new deal and senator glass killed his opponent and you know even even the most powerful president of all time couldn't defeat this senator so i just think you know that the democratic that's not entirely within biden's control I do agree he should use every conceivable means possible to get that done. But I do think it's a tricky situation. But let me talk about something that's totally within his control. Okay, we all remember the total fiasco disaster, one of the worst public policies ever enacted, which was the decision not to prosecute Wall Street, which essentially facilitated the destruction of the rule of law in the United States. Okay, and. Uh, The fact of the matter is that was a decision, a political decision, totally within the administration's uh, power was the wrong decision. We need to make sure that doesn't get repeated. Okay, President Biden doesn't have total control over the Senate, but he has enormous influence over the Justice Department. 
And his attorney general, of course, has enormous influence over what is prosecuted and what's not. And if all we do with the insurrection is prosecute guys with the horns and goofballs who kind of got swept up in this, and even the people who were deliberate and attacked people and need to go to prison and think about it, okay, if that's all we do, and the people that orchestrated it, the people who went to Ivy League schools, the people that were behind the whole thing, the people who got the buses together, the people who schemed in Bannon's office, if those people aren't indicted, then, then once again, what we've decided is the rule of law only applies to the unpowerful. Right. And, and that is totally within the Biden's administration's capacity. So if Joe Biden, President Joe Biden does not uh, take a hard line and put the resources down to have a full investigation and ensure that all people, not just the idiots who smashed windows, but the people that got them there, the people who orchestrated them there, the people who did the planning, perhaps even elected officials, if those people aren't also placed in handcuffs, brought before a jury of their peers and judged guilty or innocent, then then Joe Biden, President Joe Biden has not done his work. And that's totally within his control. And we need to make sure that the administration understands that this must this, that the, the, the powers that do exist solely within the administration need to be exercised. And I say that because I'm very, I'm concerned. Well, I, and I think Mike, you know, and you're a lawyer, we should let people know you're a lawyer. Uh, you know, when it comes to situations like this, there is no middle ground. Like there is no not weighing in either you prosecute and you go after them right. and show that this is wrong or you consent and sign off and make it okay by setting a precedent that you did nothing. So it's one or the other. You don't exactly. get to ride the bridge. You you have to choose. Is this okay or is this not? And if it's not, you have to do what it takes to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Well, and I'll tell you, it's interesting. One, hundred percent agree. And it's essential and it's critical that the high level people who went to fancy colleges, but got wrapped up in this and facilitated it, they too need to be indicted. We need to investigate them. They need to be turning over their phones. We need to be reviewing their texts. Whatever resources are needed need to be put to the task. If it takes 10,000 lawyers, then 10,000 lawyers need to be hired. It's a drop in the bucket in terms right. of the federal budget. And let me say, I say this because there have been reports, differing reports about what's going on. Some say that the full investigation is being done. Some say it's not. I, it's interesting, wrote an article just because of my law practice and what I do. I wrote an article right after the insurrection with a law professor from the University of Memphis that said, you need to gather all the phones and all of the electronic data now because it's going to start to disappear. And that's right. where your evidence is going to be. Here's the funny thing. I actually kind of had the delusion that this particular article would be picked up by the national press. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, every so often that happens to a state representative. But you know what's funny? I couldn't find anybody who had any interest in it. Finally, the Tennessean published it. Um, but probably just because I browbeat them and beg them and, you know, they're in my town. And so they probably felt like they had to. But there wasn't a lot of interest. All right. That concerned me then. It continues to concern me. Um, you know, we've seen these Republican con con congressmen and congresswomen uh, have spoken out 
with extreme terms when it was suggested that, uh, you know, phones and other electronic information be subpoenaed. You know, that makes me very suspicious. Sure. Again, all the people, no matter what their powerful position who are involved in this, need to be investigated. And if the investigation shows they broke the law, they need to be indicted and they need to be imprisoned by the time of the next election so that everybody understands you just can't fool with the United States of America in this way. You just can't you can't plot a coup and then go on to talk shows and talk about it as if it's no big deal. No, you need to be in jail so that you're an example to everyone else in the country that that's just not acceptable. And that is an essential part of the response to January the 6th. I think that's well said. And uh, I just want to address Gabrex one last thing. He's asking about the voting bills and what actually we have a problem with that are in the new voting bills. And that's a longer discussion. There are plenty of articles about it. I'm happy to send it to you. But the bottom line is they're doing things like shutting down Sunday voting in majority black areas. They're purging election commissions of Democrats and 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 you know changing all kinds of rules or limiting vote by mail. They're doing things that they know next time will limit turnout. Whether or not it will work remains to be seen. But you know, purging people who are sympathetic towards democracy is the bottom line here. And we've seen it in all of these states. And the and they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't think it would have some impact. So I'll let you address that. I'd like to bring I'm glad you brought address that. I've got my, my glasses on because I'm blind now. I can't read without them. Um, I want to read what George Packer said about that because I really think it's important. There's no one that cares more about enfranchisement and making sure people vote, I don't think, than I do. That's certainly a priority for me. But there are two different things, okay? The election laws we're talking about, the, the efforts by Republicans to prevent people from voting, Okay, people who are typically not going to vote Republican. That's one set of policies and it's wrong and we should speak out against them. But that needs to be viewed as as different from laws that are being passed and efforts that are being made to literally not respect the election, whoever votes. That's different. I think it's a different type of issue. Here's what Packer says, and I thought he said it very well. This is in the Atlantic. When Democrats talk about the threat, they focus on disenfranchisement, describing the new Republican election laws as Jim Crow 2.0. The language by provocatively invoking that terrible history highlights the racial bias in the laws, which of course exists. But the threat we face is a new one. It requires new thinking. Through most of American history, both parties, while excluding large numbers of Americans from the franchise, basically accepted the choice of the electorate, and that is no longer true. The supreme danger now is not that voters in urban counties will have a harder time finding a drop box or that some states will shorten the mail ballot application window. The danger is that the express will of the American people could be overthrown. The point is we need to every day fight the battle to ensure that voting is fair, that voters are not obstructed. But the danger we face today, which is a an apparatus supported by many members of one party and a former president designed to literally reject the vote, regardless of who votes, that is a different level of threat. So on the one hand, we need to do everything we can at the national level and the state level to prevent these efforts to 
to reduce the franchise, to reduce the people who can vote, to make it harder to vote. We need to do that. But on the other hand, we also need to recognize we face a different and a new threat, which is the threat that President Trump was trying to orchestrate, which was to literally say that the people of Arizona will not be listened to, to say the people of Pennsylvania will simply be ignored. That's a new threat. Here's a, an interesting point. I'm not the first to make it. I think it's in one of these articles I cited. You know, even the Confederates, the people who left the country to form the Confederacy, did so after respecting the fact that President Lincoln had been elected. They didn't say, oh, that was fake news. President Lincoln wasn't really elected. Even these people who then started firing upon American forts respected the, the presidential election. So this new threat we face where we have a former president and a series of cronies and now a bunch of Republican officials actually trying to create an infrastructure of oppression that will literally prevent the American people's will from being carried out. That's a grave and totally different type of threat. It's totally different from anything we faced before. And Democrats need to start organizing and Republicans as well to, to right now to prevent that from happening. And the way we do it, the way we do it is so protecting every aspect of democracy at every level that it's impossible for anyone other than a completely corrupt person, a corrupt official from not recognizing the result. I'll give you an example and then I'll shut up. If in Arizona next time around, there's a lawyer at every poll. And if in Arizona, there's enormous effort made to ensure that the sanctity of the election is preserved at every level, okay? Then the only way the Arizona legislature can vote to not respect the electors is if they can gather a majority of people who simply abandon their patriotic duty in their entirety, and then they can get judges to uphold it. Okay. Well, look, we all have to operate under the assumption that most political officials, Republican and Democrat, want to do the right thing. They were raised in our country, have benefited from all that we benefit from, and that they'll do the right thing unless they're given an excuse. So we need to start creating the infrastructure so it's impossible for anyone other than somebody who's entirely corrupt to upend our system. We can't have confusion. We can't have a potential evidence out there. We need to spend enormous resources to make sure the next election is fair and, and that the courts will receive no information other than overwhelming proof that the people's voice is the appropriate one. Otherwise, you're going to see all this perniciousness. That's another step we need to take to protect our democracy. It, we're in a terrible, terrible, threatening situation, and every serious political person in the United States needs to be focused on this. When you have three generals, retired generals, writing that uh, they're concerned about a constitutional crisis if the military basically decides they're not sure or is asked to pick sides in you know the next election, you know you have an issue. So you know I would encourage everybody to read that article by those three generals, including General Anderson, who basically said that they're concerned that there's going to be a constitutional crisis in the military. And that's really all you need to know. Mike, we've talked for a while. I've kept you here for a while. I want to ask you about one thing before we leave here. Uh, speaking of things where, you know, the powers that be either are punishing people or showing that they sort of support what happened and allowing it to happen again. A major issue here in Tennessee is what we're calling phase on ref pantsing gate. 
Uh, I think most people by now have seen this. This was, we talked about it yesterday. Rep Faison pantsed a referee in, or tried to pants a referee in East Tennessee. Did you see this happen? And if not, let me just make sure that you have by showing it to you right now. Uh, this was this week in East Tennessee at his son's high school basketball game. I want to make sure everybody sees it. So there's a loose ball, a scrum. The ref blows the whistle. There's a little bit of pushing and shoving. And then somehow Rep Faison ends up out on the court, I guess trying to separate or push. He's yelling at the ref. And then right here is where the ref ejects him from the gym. And then Faison leans in and tries to pull his pants off. And then he gets thrown out. Mike, have you ever seen anything like that before in your entire life? And what do you think about what Faison did there? Well, I have to say, I spoke to my children. I was not aware that pantsing was a thing, actually, <laughs> until I, but they assured me, yeah, they'd, they'd heard of it. I guess it's a YouTube phenomenon. Um, well, you know, uh, you blew up the video, so I couldn't evade the question skillfully. I expect, <laughs> I expect nothing less from the holler. Um, yeah, well, that is obviously uh, remarkable. Perhaps not as crucial a political event as the ones we've been talking about. Yeah, maybe but, not. Maybe not. Some might argue they're quiet. One that may hard. receive more coverage for <laughs> in, in the near term. Um, you know, I think that uh, obviously, um, if nothing else, Pantsgate will probably yield maybe one or two or 7,000 jokes up in the legislature when we return. <laughs> Many of them set on the floor, perhaps by me. So we'll see. We'll just have to see how, how, how it goes. Well, let me ask you this, and you don't have to answer this, and I won't pin you down too hard on this, but how, if we said to you, there was a legislator who tried to pants a ref and got thrown out of a high school basketball game, how many guesses would it have taken you to get to phase on? Yeah, I'll have to, you know, uh, there's so many layers to that question. <laughs> I don't know how to get there. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I will, I, I will be asking Jeremy about it. I won't make you answer it. Uh, but I do think uh, the way that I'm going to tie it together and watch me do this here is if the TSSAA doesn't do anything to punish him, then they are setting a precedent that pantsing refs is something that's okay to do. So just like the DOJ needs to punish those responsible for the insurrection, this is Jeremy Faison's little mini insurrection, and I believe he needs to be banned from future basketball games and punished in some way by the TSSAA. That's my two cents. Well, uh, I will say that uh, I've known uh, Representative Faison since he came in. He and I have always worked well together, and uh, I'll be interested to see his response to the current situation. Do you know? Okay, fair enough. Mike, thank you for coming on here and talking to us about this. I uh, respect your opinions on this stuff, and I agree that we are in a dire situation, and you know we should talk about it more as it goes on. But I'm hopeful that with Rep. Cheney and the others on the committee that they are going to give this the attention it needs. I don't know what comes next, but you know I'm hopeful. Uh, and I am too, and uh, we just have to all move forward and do what we can. Thank you so much for, for having me on the holler. All right, Mike, take care. That's Rep. Mike Stewart. 
Uh, I want to go through some of your comments while I still have you here because I know I ignored intentionally a few of them with Mike, but you know, I, I just, just to talk to Carlos and Gapper X, as I kind of do at the end here, usually I, I just feel like you guys are really both sizing this and, you know, you're equating this with Russia, which by the way, was not a hoax. And, you know, how many people need to go to prison for you to realize that there really was some there, there, you know, Manafort owed the Russian government or Russian oligarchs millions and millions of dollars while working for him for free was giving them polling data. So, you know, to sort of try to poo poo and dismiss the insurrection because of what happened with the Russia story, which actually was a very serious and real thing. It just, it's, it's really hard to try to have a real conversation with you guys about this stuff. So I'm not going to try to convince you. I can, I can see that I can't, but you know, the bottom line here is that there are facts that you can't dismiss. And the fact is the Capitol was attacked. The man who was president will do anything to maintain power. 70% of his party believes that Biden wasn't elected legitimately. And so we're in really dire straits. And they're now going about, as Mike said, replacing all these people who kept democracy on the tracks. I mean, we were hanging by a thread. If it wasn't for people like Raffensperger, who was a Trump-supporting Republican, there were uh, election officials in Michigan who were Trump-supporting Republicans who held, uh, and then Pence. You know, those are a few pressure points where if different people were in those spots, who knows where we would be? I don't know where we would be. Nobody knows where we would be. But when you have generals and you have Cheney and you have people sounding the alarm, it's time to listen. And when you minimize it, and dismiss their concerns, you are helping to pave the way for what comes next. And so if we wake up one day in a constitutional crisis where, you know, Congress is sending the election back to the states and they're sending new, we're not that far from that. And so you will have helped pave the way for that by covering up by minimizing. And obviously, you know, I don't pin this on you as just a voter and a person, but what you are doing, you're doing because Fox News is doing it. You're doing it because the legislators that you support are doing it and they have big bully pulpits. They have big megaphones and they are the reason that we are where we are. So this is a really serious situation. You know, I think in some way, Democrats controlling the House, the Senate and the White House has everybody feeling a little more comfortable than they probably should. And, you know, there's sort of this sense of, oh, you know, they're in charge. So they're not in charge of anything. So what can they really do? Well, that's actually not true. They are in charge of a lot of things throughout the country. It's just not the stuff that gets the headlines. And they have gone about replacing people with loyalists. And, you know, the Republican Party is in many ways an authoritarian party at this point. And they're saying it's the Democrats are too, and they're both sizing it. And that both sizing thing really is dangerous in a lot of ways. So I would just ask you not to do that. I have no illusions that you won't, but I think it's important to understand the danger of underplaying and downplaying what's really going on here. And so I appreciate that Mike wanted to come on here and make sure that they didn't. Uh, thank God for Joe Manchin. I mean, great. If I, you must be super rich or a coal baron, Carlos, because that's the only reason you wouldn't want paid leave or climate solutions or 
a living wage or childcare or universal pre-K, all the things that would probably help regular people. You're on here enough on YouTube that I assume you're a regular person. So, and not a coal baron. So I'm not really sure why you'd be rooting against yourself that way, but to each their own. Am I worried about the midterms? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm always worried about everything. Uh, is that the type of representation you want pantsing someone? Yeah. Let's end this by talking about the important things like Jeremy Faison pantsing a ref. My goodness, that was chef's kiss perfection. And there's one thing I'll say about Tennessee, and it's it never gets boring around here. There is always something more ridiculous coming around the corner. But I promise that we will keep covering it. I appreciate that you guys help us tell these stories and get the word out. You are the holler and keep following all the hollers throughout Tennessee. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Tennessee. Woo! Yeah. Tennessee. It's a tennis.